0: Well, good morning again, Church. Uh, it's so good to be able to gather though I certainly miss gathering with you all in person and just want to say um, not only thanks for being the church and bringing the church into your space, uh, thanks as well for inviting us into your space your kitchen, your dining room, uh, your living room. Uh, We are grateful uh, that you've chosen to spend some time uh, together this morning, obviously under less than ideal circumstances, but we're thankful that we can still do this, that we can gather, that we can sing praises to to King Jesus, that we can uh, continue to worship by opening up his word, this gift that he's given to us. And so, and again, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, thank you so much for uh, checking out uh, Crosspoint Winter Park at, at home, all right? And my name's Jamie. It's my great privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint, and it's my joy to get to open up uh, the scriptures with you all this morning. And so we are continuing this series called The Light of the Gospel. It's this journey through uh, the letter, the book of 2 Corinthians, and many, many months ago we had this planned. And by God's Grace, we believe uh, he was preparing us to, even in this time, to be in this particular book to deal with some of these themes. What does it look like to have the light of the gospel shine into the darkness? And there's a, there a chaos, isn't there? There's a darkness, and we're feeling it now more than ever, and we need the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel, Jesus, who is the light of the world, to push back the kingdom of darkness. We want to see the kingdom of, of light advance. And so I want to invite you this morning to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter six. We're going to be picking up in verse 14, and then we'll go into the very first verse of chapter 7. And so if you've got a Bible, get that. Go grab one. It would be helpful to be able to follow along. You can also go to cpwp.life, swipe over until you get to message notes, and anything that's uh, some of the slides this morning will be there, the text this morning. And so I want to invite you right now, I'm going to go ahead and read this. So we have it in its uh, entirety, and then I'll invite you in a moment to to pray uh, with me that the Spirit might, the God's Spirit might be at work illuminating our our thinking, opening us up to what God would have for us this morning. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, "'Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness?' Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord." Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter seven, verse one then says this. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so church, wherever you happen to be, I wanna invite you um, to pray along with me. I'm gonna put the words on the screen. It's just this simple prayer that we might invite and we might ask the spirit to work wherever you happen to be. God knows the particular situation, the circumstances of your life. He knew you would be in this time, in this place. And God is raising up his church in this particular time, I believe, to do a new work and that we might see renewal take place um, in this sort of moment we find ourselves in. And so pray along with me the words that you see on the screen. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so as we get into this text this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul starts out right away, and there's this command, and so you see it in these opening couple of verses, all right? As we look at that, we're going to kind of make our way through this text, and that really it's centered around like one particular phrase, one line, Uh, here it is on the screen, the Apostle Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so we want to explore that, because everything that he lists out after that is Uh, in unpacking of that command, all right? And it isn't a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you feel like doing this, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, like this is God's word, not just to a people a couple thousand years ago, but to you and to me in this moment, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so just we got to make sense of a couple of things in this. We'll look at the unequal part in just a moment. But this idea of yoke, it's a its a term, it's a farming term. It's a, it's a term where you would have two animals, two particular beasts, oftentimes oxen that would be used and they're plowing a field and they're being used by a farmer. And it would sort of look like what you're seeing here right now that you have these two animals and there's this yoke, it's this wooden bar that is placed kind of over their neck and their shoulder. And what it is doing is it's meant to keep them sort of in sync walking in step together. And so the image there, what Paul is unpacking for us is saying, hey, there's a, there's a right way to be yoked, to be tethered, to be working together. And remember, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people. They are family, right? They're not just they like family. They actually are family. And so even right now in churches, we are scattered about and we can't physically be together and all of those things We still are family, and there's this call to be walking in step with one another and with the Lord, and there's a right way to be yoked together, all right? And so that's the kind of the image that Paul is building off of. But I think one of the questions that gets raised in this, and I want to explore this for a moment because I think we got to make sure we don't misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is saying, um, is he's not telling us then to just sort of do away with interacting with the world at all. All right. So in present day, it's not like Paul is saying, shelter in place, quarantine forever. If you're the church, there's this big bad world out there and you don't want to get infected. I mean, that, that's not the posture that he's actually talking about. All right. We are a church as a church family, as a church people, we follow Jesus. And what was Jesus? He was sent into the world. Now he was very different from the world. He didn't sin. He lived in holiness. He lived in glad obedience and submission to the Father, but he was sent. And so maybe a way for us to think about this is this truth. Like we are sent. We're not sectarian. It doesn't mean we just cut ourselves off, all right? And so even in this weird cultural moment of Shelter in place and quarantine. Maybe think about this. I wonder how much of the church, how often maybe have it, we had a posture, even though we were, even a f- you know, a few weeks ago we were free to to go about and mingle and do all the things that that we would do. But I wonder if deep down there was a part of us, maybe for some, that there was this self righteousness. There was this judgment. It was looking out over the world, and though we didn't quarantine or shelter in place, if people could peer in our hearts, they might see a fear. They might see um, a resentment or a bitterness toward the world out there. And there might be this feeling of like, we got to huddle up as Christians. There's this big, bad world out there. And we got to make sure that we don't get sort of infected by sin. Now, the reality is when we have that posture, we're forgetting the fact that the problem isn't just out there. The problem is in here, like the problem's in my heart, it's in your heart, all right? And it's not just in the unbeliever's heart, it's like something we're all dealing with. And so the Apostle Paul in his first letter actually to the Corinthians, and we'll, uh, we'll move off of this point in just a moment, but I think it's really key for us to make sure that we don't read this as a call to completely separate from the world. We are called to be salt and light. And to be honest, some of what is problematic out in the world is because we as the church haven't been the light that we've been called to be. We haven't been the salt that we're called to be because salt is a preserving agent and it has to make physical contact with the thing it's seeking to preserve. And so in some ways, we have done a poor job as a church just worldwide, I think, as sometimes separating and not being the, the influencers that we're called to be. And so Paul is dealing with this in 1 Corinthians, actually, his first letter. And in chapter 5, let me read these words to you. He, he's kind of following this out, and he's like, hey, there are things to avoid. But I'm not telling you to avoid, like if I told you to avoid everything, like you'd literally have to leave the world. And so here's what he says. Look at these words. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. So follow the logic here. He says, since then, you would need to actually go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So what's the Apostle Paul saying in this? as he talks about not being unequally yoked, he's saying there is a role for us as the church. Um, We're called to minister to the world. We are sent people, we are missionaries, all of that. It's actually more of an indictment of the church family where sometimes we actually allow ourselves or other people to just live in blatant disregard to what Christ would have for us. He's basically saying like, hey, I expect the world to live in a particular way, all right? And we got to continue to love them and care for them and move toward them. But like if you're a follower of Jesus, to live in blatant disregard for his ways, the Bible knows nothing of that. And so let's unpack this then. Why does Paul say unequally yoked? What he's getting at, what he's talking about here is... The fact that sometimes maybe a way to think about it is we are hitched to particular belief systems or patterns. There are things that get a hold of us. And if we're not careful, we will be discipled not by King Jesus, but by everything, all the competing narratives that are coming at us. Like We don't live in any sort of neutral space. Like Every single day when you and I wake up, there's a, there's a fight, there's a battle for your affections. Will you submit, will I submit to Jesus and to follow him, to take up my cross and follow after him? Or will I give in to the, the narrative that is like, oh, just do what I wanna do. I need to be me and I need to fulfill whatever feelings and emotions that I have. So when Paul says don't be unequally yoked, he's saying, it's possible to hitch yourself to maybe a person, all right? But in our highly kind of individualistic culture, hyper-individualism that we are in, sometimes it's less even about hitching to a particular person, but there's just a a belief, a mindset, a philosophy that's like, oh, I got to follow this. And yeah, if I get a little Jesus time, I can sprinkle that in. I can call on him when I need it. But there's this call here as a Christian to be yoked in such a way that we're actually with Jesus, we're walking in step with him not being pulled and influenced. So it got me thinking of something that, uh, this is a number of year, years ago. Um, I don't recommend this, and I realized um, last week I recommended a book by, or by saying, well, I actually don't recommend this, this book. Um, and right now I'm going to show you just this quick five-second clip of something. And so for the kids that are watching, you might find this entertaining. I don't recommend doing this, all right? But um, five, six years ago now uh, with our previous dog, I had a longboard skateboard, and I thought, oh, you know what, this would be kind of interesting, like it'll get him some exercise, and so uh, we'll actually go out, and I'll take the leash, and he'll kind of just pull me ever so slightly, which was great until he got overly excited and would see a person or a squirrel or anything, right, and suddenly he would lunge, and he would sort of zoom, and suddenly this comfortable pace that I was going at, all right, um, suddenly just increased, and though I thought, the dog is my dog, and I'm the master of the dog. The reality is, I had no control in this situation. So, let me show you what this looks like here. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Now again, I don't recommend that, all right? Uh, uh, I'm thankful that I didn't actually like wipe out and break every bone in my body, but um, it's this picture, right, of being hitched to something, and it's pulling us. And the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking of this, is saying there are these desires that get a hold of us, and we might think, we might convince ourselves, I've got that under control, but when the Bible speaks of this, he's speaking of idolatry, the Bible is speaking of idolatry, it's speaking of being hitched to something that pulls us. And so what we need to do in this text for just a moment is ask ourselves some hard questions. Like if we're gonna be the church that we're called to be, if we're gonna shine the light of the gospel, if we're gonna be the ambassadors and witnesses that Christ has called us to be, we need to make sure, I need to make sure I'm not just thinking, well, there's these people back then and they gave into particular practices. Now that is historically true. And I don't have time to get into all of it, and I realize every Sunday now is a a family-style service. And so there's some things about Corinth that I'm not going to go into detail in, but just know this. There were people that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church, i got my Christian brothers and sisters, and then also would go engage in all the pagan rituals and some of the other temples that existed in Corinth. And let's just say it was anything but God-honoring. And so you had these people that were like, yep, I'm with Team Jesus, but I'm also, I really like my, my time in sort of the, the cults and the, and the practices of what was going on in modern day Corinth. And we might look at that and be like, well, thankfully I don't do that. I don't, I don't go and bow down to something else. But is that really true? I think what Paul is talking about here and what he's getting at is he's asking us to consider this, like what idols have got a hold of you? Like what good thing Have you perhaps elevated to like an ultimate thing? And it has got a hold on you and is pulling you and it is dragging you in particular directions. Like me hooked up to my dog and trying to think that I'm in control and realizing, oh my goodness, like this thing is just taking me somewhere and it might not be where I want to go. And so for the follower of Jesus, if you're watching, let me ask you to consider something. I believe this moment that we're in as painful and as difficult as it is, that God is doing something. I believe He wants to bring some. We talked about the resurrection of King Jesus. Well, that is true. And because of that, I believe there's some resurrection that He's wanting to do in your life individually and collectively, us together as the church, and to identify like what things have got a hold of us. And this pandemic, this sheltering in place, this quarantine, all of this. I think some of us are starting to realize this, right? Like it's bringing things to the surface that what we're seeing and experiencing is revealing to us, oh my goodness, there might be things that I was trusting in more than King Jesus. And so let me put a few of these things before you and ask you just to consider this, that this pandemic is revealing all sorts of things that I've been trusting in, maybe that you've been trusting in, and God in his kindness, and his grace has not given us over to those things, but rather it's showcasing for us like, hey, This might be what you're trusting in. And so let me just ask you, how many of us have been driven by other people's approval and now that we're not around some of the same people, like we're not getting some of the pats on the back. We're just, maybe you're sheltering in place and you got young kids and you're like, they never tell me thank you, right? Like, but maybe you had other environments where you could get that sort of approval. You had other places where that was happening. What's it revealing? Oh, I've got an approval idol and this time right now is maybe revealing that to me. What about an identity based on performance and achievement? And in this time, in this place, maybe there's been things that's like, man, I just feel throttled. Like I'm not able to do what I was once able to do. I'm not able to enjoy the things that I was once able to enjoy. Now you working your job, all of those things, it's good and right. And those things could be done to the glory of God. But let's be honest this achievement culture that we live in, like this time right now is exposing something in our hearts, I believe. It's like, oh, that's the thing that was pulling me. That's the thing that I thought would bring me life. Maybe just the basic, the idol of self. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so even, uh, you know, the government authorities putting something in place that says, no, you can't do that. All right. How many of us feel this? Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Or the idol of self that rears its ugly head when maybe you thought, I'm a relatively patient person and I'm kind and now we're however many days into this and you realize, oh, my roommate is not experiencing me as loving and kind and patient or my kids or my spouse or whatever it happens to be. What about the idol of control? How many of us are being pulled by that and we are now in this spot where we realize, oh my goodness. It was just a mirage. Like I actually had no control. All right. And so we still though are grasping for that. And so what might be behind our constant checking the news, checking our phones, doing that, is trying to gain some measure of like control. If I just gather enough information, if I check the right sites, if I dial into this, if I listen to the so-called experts, like then I might have some measure of control. And what if the Lord is revealing to you? No, no, no. Like you're meant to rest in Him. Maybe in this time you're coming to realize that there was this something that this thing that was pulling you all right it's this constant it's tied to achievement perhaps and um uh, that that idea of performance um but you're realizing i've got a lot of time on my hands but i'm not sure i'm actually able to rest all that well because there's something in you there's this idol of busyness and you're leashed up to it and it is pulling you constantly and so now suddenly when you have a little bit more time you realize i'm not at peace at all like I actually need to be needed. And maybe one of the things that's revealing this time is like how codependent we we were. We weren't really resting in God. We were trusting in other people. Maybe there's the idol of just money and finances and we should have good and right concern and we wanna steward things well, but how many of us are overly consumed right now? And I'm not trying to make light of things. Some of you are in really bad spots and hardship. And so we wanna enter in, we wanna help as a church but there's some of us that might find ourselves just constantly checking our savings account or seeing what the market is doing and realizing, oh, that's the thing that I ultimately worship. And so I think it's worth considering for a moment as we looked at the resurrection of Jesus last week and we celebrated that and we praised him for that. We get excited, even in this shelter in place time, there was an energy about Easter. But I think if we're honest One of the things, when we talk about getting back to normal, I wonder how many of us are really asking and pleading with the Lord to resurrect our idols. How many of us are thinking, God, can you just get me back to normal because I want all of these things to be in place? And what if the Lord in his kindness is saying, I love you too much to allow that to happen? That when we bring our idols, and what we're going to look at here in a moment is the Apostle Paul is telling us we're actually the temple of God, like this, this mind-boggling astounding statement that, that he makes in the, these verses and so if that's true it's in essence we're taking all these lesser things and we're bringing them and we're sort of asking God to like baptize those things and like basically say like oh no it's good that you, you can worship me and you can worship your career or approval or control or endless number of things it's just not true. I was reminded of the, this Old Testament story, and First Samuel chapter 5, I'll put the words up on the screen, but the Ark of the Covenant is taken captive by the Philistines, right? These enemies of God's people, enemies of Israel, and they take it, and it's where, you know, the, typically um, that would have been in the tabernacle or the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and so it's captured. It's where the presence of God would have resided, and so the Philistines, they take this, and they bring it in, and they say, well, if this is tied to the worship of Israel's God. Let's put it in with our God. And look what happens. It says this, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it into the house of Dagon. So that's their God and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. I think that's kind of a really fascinating thing. And so they put it in there and they wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, interesting. Our God is bowing down to the God of Israel, so to speak. And it's like, yes, I mean, that's actually the right posture, and so they, they continue though. And so they set everything back up. Like, oh, maybe there was just a wind or something. Who knows? And so they, it says they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. And then they rose early on the next morning. And behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground. But it's different this time. Behold, before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is a powerful picture of how impotent, how powerless are idols. You might get the control, the approval, the achievement, this pride and so i'm always busy i'm needed you might get all the things your heart desires and at the end of the day they are worthless it's like this dagon and it just crumbles and it disintegrates and god wants more for you and for me and for the church not here only at cross point winter park but his church around the world and what paul is doing like he did to the corinthians he's doing for us now he's saying all right there's this command don't follow those things pay attention to your heart and in order to combat this, the only way we're actually gonna be able to be yoked to Jesus and to the right things and walk in step with the Spirit is when we understand what he has done for us. And so in verses 16, the back part of 16 to 18, let me read it again. We get this picture of our covenant realities, the new covenant, what has been achieved. And really what we have in these verses is a long kind of, it's in this many, many chapters now of Paul unpacking this, and it kind of comes to a summary here and so he says verse 16 says what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple of the living god as god said and then he begins from the rest of 16 through 18 a sort of a mashup of several different old testament passages that we don't have time to go and dive into all of them but he says this i will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and i will be their god and they shall be my people therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them says the lord touch no unclean thing then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord almighty and so all of this flows out of this line that the apostle Paul says, for we are the temple of the living God, and even that phrase one of the things we need to see when it, when he uses the word temple it's not just for the temple in general the big you know uh, the, the, the big kind of um, building that that it was it's speaking it's a word that's being used to speak specifically about the holy of holies it's where the presence of god dwelt and so just for a moment what i think we have to see here because this phrase like we are the temple of god is mind-boggling that was category shattering like there was the people of god the israelites never actually ever expected that that would ever be said of them and now here it is being said to this ragtag group of people this new church in places like corinth who have all sorts of issues like go read first corinthians you'll see they're not a perfect people and yet the apostle paul tells them all right um that we are the temple of the living god if this is true we can't be bringing our idols in and thinking that's okay and so with this i think there's very quickly we'll kind of do this quick summary there's this progression of the presence of God. And so if we were to go all the way back, one of the things you realize is that God from the very beginning promised that he would be with his people. And early on, he said, all right, I need you to build this tabernacle as the people of God were traveling. They were leaving slavery in Egypt and they were traveling to the promised land. And so you get something like in Exodus 25, verse eight, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then Exodus 40, 34 Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so what are we seeing? The presence of God in this one particular location. And then the presence would actually get up, and it would move, and it would be a signal for the people of Israel to kind of pack up camp and to move. And eventually we come to a point in the Old Testament story where it's not now this temporary structure that's the tabernacle, we actually have the temple. And so Second Chronicles 5, 6-7, to this is the dedication of the temple. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. Hmm. So we go from Tabernacle, where now we're here in the temple. And then he continues by the end of chapter 5, it says, So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What are we learning about? This place? What are we learning about this Holy of Holies? What are we learning about the presence of God? Is that in the temple? It's the place where God and his people could meet. It's also the place where sacrifices were made for the sins, for the atonement of the sins of God's people. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And the, also, Paul or the Apostle John rather writes in John chapter one. He begins to speak of Jesus, and he uses this phrase that he says, "What we knew in the tabernacle in the temple now is embodied. It's in flesh and blood, and it's Jesus Himself." And it says, "The Word became flesh and dwelt among us." And the word there is that He tabernacled among us. That there's these dots that should be being connected. The light bulbs should be going off. And it says, "And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace." And truth. And so what do we know about Jesus? That he is fully God. He has the glory of God, and he is going to be that one that ultimately would take care of our sins by going to the cross. This is where Paul would write in Colossians 1, 19 to 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so what we're seeing throughout this and what Paul is reminding the people is there's been this story about the presence of God and there's been this awareness about something amazing that happens there in the Holy of Holies. And now Jesus himself shows up. And not only is he that one that says, I'm the temple, he also says the temple is going to be destroyed, but it's going to be raised back up after he makes atonement for the sins of his people. And it would be an amazing story. That was like blowing categories away right there. And yet it goes even further because now we're told not only is Jesus this temple, we as the church are the temple. And so Paul would write to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. In the book of Ephesians, he says, "'So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, "'but you are fellow citizens with the saints, the members of the household of God, "'built on what? "'On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, "'Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone "'in whom the whole structure being joined together. "'It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. "'In him you also are being built together "'into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.'" This is a remarkable statement. And so church, I want to encourage you in this. You and I are the temple of God. Like how amazing is that? And the reason that can be true of you and of me is because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our lives. And so it is this time where we're like longing, God, what are you doing? And how are you at work? And are, are you near? It's like, absolutely he is. He is so close to us. And so Paul writes these words, and he says, in light of this, that we're the temple of God, he's like, yeah, there's no place for idols. Don't bring those things in there, all right? He says, and he's reminding us of the promises of God. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And in light of this, yes, be separate from uh, the things that would pull us away from God, certainly. But he says, I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, and he begins then to move into chapter seven, verse one. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And Church, let me ask you as we get ready to close here, like, are you resting in the promises of God? Like these things that are written here are only possible because of what Jesus has done. The only reason you and I can be the temple is because Jesus first was and that temple was destroyed and then three on the third day there was this resurrection of that temple, it was rebuilt. The only way that you and I can experience this closeness being with God is because Jesus himself was forsaken. The only reason that we can be called sons and daughters, the only reason we can have that presence with the Father, that closeness because Jesus was cut off from the Father. The only reason you and I can actually be cleansed is because Jesus was defiled there on the cross as he took all of our sin and our shame and all of our idolatry and everything, all of our pursuits, and it, all that, the wrath that we deserve, he took upon himself. And then he invites us. And it's this yoke imagery again. It's this Jesus who says, listen, I've made a way. You don't have to earn this. I'm not telling you that you've got to now somehow measure up he saying, i'm just inviting you to come to me and so church are, are you there are you, are you tired are you feeling weary have you maybe felt maybe a more of an awareness or realization of the things that had a hold of your heart that were pulling you confess those things repent of those things turn to Jesus. This is not the time for you to try and fix this in your own strength. This is an opportunity to turn and trust in new ways and ask God to bring renewal, that we would take Jesus up on his offer. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul's for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you been carrying a yoke of performance, of approval, of control, any number of things? Those things will crush you. They will weigh you down. They will lead to death and devastation. They will not come through on the promises that they make. Only Jesus. When you're yoked to him, when you're walking in step with him, when you realize he's my leader, he's the one to follow, he's paid it all, suddenly there's this rest. And so 7, chapter seven, verse one, speaks of this completion. And church, you need to know this. This is an invitation to live in response to these promises. We live from our identity. We don't live for it. We're not trying to achieve anything. You've been granted this gift. All of these promises have come true in the person and work of Jesus. They've been given to you. They've been bestowed to you. And now we get to live from that reality. And so yes, we look at 7, verse 1, and we remember that, yes, we're beloved. And yes, then we work and we strive to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Like we confess freely before the Lord because we know there's no judgment anymore. It's, the judgment's already happened. Jesus took it. He was punished in your place. So now we can freely come and say, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I have been bowing down to the idol of self. I've been bowing down to the idol of approval or control. I've been bowing down to just trying to distract myself by binge watching the latest show and that making sure that I don't pay attention to what's going on at a heart level. We can bring those things before the Lord. That's part of what cleansing looks like. And then bringing holiness to completion, the fear of God, that there's through the grace of God working out our sanctification, but know this, Rest in this as we close. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You don't bring it to completion. I don't bring it to completion. Jesus promises Jesus will bring it to completion. If you would have any doubt about that, you look back, oh, what, what did we celebrate last week? The resurrection of Jesus it tells us that we're part of that story. It's a story that ultimately is going to find its completion when Jesus comes back and he sets everything right and he wipes away every tear and every idol will be seen for what it is that is impotent, that is weak, that it's a reproach, that it's offensive to our holy God. And Jesus still loves us and pursues us. And I know you've pursued those things, but I died for those things. and So you can be free to live in a whole new way. And so church, let's take a moment to quiet our hearts and let's we pray, what do you need to repent? Ask the spirit to be at work. What do you need to remember? Remember who you are in Christ and then we are going to rejoice together as we sing a couple closing songs. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you that you would pursue not just people that, oh, we make mistakes, no, that, we would, that you would pursue rebellious wayward People that have committed treason against our God, against our King. Thank you that you still sent your son on a rescue mission so we could be loved, that we could be brought into your family, that we would go from being not a people to being God's people, that we could be known as your sons and your daughters. Let the so Holy Spirit remind us of those truths. Holy Spirit bring conviction that we might repent of the ways that we have pursued other identities. And would we rejoice now in who we are in you? So God, as we worship through song, I pray, God, that you would get your glory and that even this time of worship directed toward you would would be used by you to help us experience a deep and abiding joy in the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.